here. Welcome to Sundays with Shortland. Belated to now be Mondays with Shortland. I will not lie, 150 midterms is not the easiest thing to do. But there we go. We're working our way through it. You'll be getting your grade soon. I mean, I have never seen such excitement in the weekly in the weekly uh, Q&A this session. So either Elliot Turner upset you all or you really engage with the debate. I don't mind. But thank you so much for the questions you sent in. I mean, they're all, they're all absolutely fantastic. There are a couple questions that are um, uh, kind of just, just, just uh, run-of-the-mill course-based questions. I'll be putting answers to those in the emails I send you all. And then we just have a couple. Uh, we have three different areas of questions. We have eight questions on Elliot Turner. Kind of, um, I'll try and go through all of them, to be honest. Um, we have a question about my background and what got me into the field. And then we have actually, we actually have a really inter interesting question uh, about terrorism and hate crimes, uh, which is, I'm, I'm assuming, based on, um, on the, on the, on the, uh, on the uh, events of last week. And I'm, I'm actually going to really focus on that. I think there's, some, there's some, some nuance and some important points when we, when we think about last week from a psychological standpoint that I, I'll, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to mention. So... Let's uh, let's just get into it. So let's go right in. So when was the last time your brother spoke to Elliot Turner? That's actually very interesting. So to, to tell you a funny story. So Elliot Turner's murder was 20, 2011. OK, so 2011. In 2011, I had just finished my master's course and I had basically just got a job at a, at a place called Porton Down. Now, if you if you Google Porton Down, P-O-R-T-O-N Down, it is basically the UK government's what they'd say, you know, secret science centre, which is uh, a slight. Well, it's not a slight exaggeration. It's where, it's where the aliens are. Uh, but no, it's basically um, it, it's where you if you're going to do um, government science, that's where you go and work. And I was I was employed to. Um, to go out there and, and basically be a kind of a, a scientist, a psychologist for the army, and, and do some some defence work, um, right out of my right out of my masters, and I had to get my security clearance, and so I'm trying to get my security clearance, and and you know there it is an intense process. As as any of you who have friends who have done security clearances or, or are going to do yourself, you you'll know how detailed and intense it is with the background checks and all this kind of stuff. And so so I was I was going through that. And while I was trying to get my security clearance, my brother and my mother were both basically pen pals with Elliot Turner and Elliot Turner's mother. And I, I was like, I don't ask a lot of you family. I, I don't ask much. But could you just not be talking to murderers while I'm trying to get security clearance? One time. One time, don't be talking to the murderers. And it would be tip top. Um, but I think, I'll have to ask him, I don't think he has spoken to him since they exchanged some letters. And, and the reason is, it's, it's a funny one. My brother and Elliot were very close. And it almost gets into the next question. They're very, they're very different and they're very close. Um, so my, my brother is my brother is 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 always, he's actually quite different to me. Um, he he he's introvert. He's very by the book. He's you know he he really is a straight straight edge. Uh, my brother like like he's a he's a he's a pharmacist and you know 
he, he is absolutely down the line. And so Elliot being this like wild child, they're a really interesting pairing, but they were very, very close. Um, you know, my brother was, 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 was introverted growing up. And so Elliot was, was really his best friend. It was Elliot and this, this kid called Jared who weirdly once ordered a cheeseburger without the cheese, which is a, a very weird memory, but there you go. Um, and, and so they, they went in different directions. And I asked my brother uh, a little while ago, I was like, you know, why, why did you and Elliot fall out? Well, you didn't fall out. But Mark basically said that they both applied for the grammar school, which is, you don't have grammar schools in the US. In the UK, a grammar school is a, is a public school with an entrance exam. So only the top of the top. You, you have to get through the entrance exam to get in. And, and, and so it's kind of an elite school. Um, yeah, elite's an exaggeration, but, but it, it's meant to be for high achievers. And so I, I was there, my brother was there, and Elliot didn't get in. So they, they went, that was about 13 was when that, that happened. And that's when Elliot went off to this private school. And uh, the UK private schools are generally associated with drugs because kids have a lot of money and not a lot of sense. Um, and Mark always says that at that moment, he feels like he kind of lost Elliot. And Elliot went down a very, very, very different path, kind of uh, from my brother, age, age 13. So I think what, what happened, oh God, what happened? Elliot's mum, Anita, who I will talk about in a moment because I've got some strong opinions on her. Um, Elliot's mum, Anita, basically wrote a letter to my mother and then either in the letter in the letter asked Mark, asked if Mark would go see Elliot and it would mean so much to Elliot and all this kind of stuff. Now, the pessimist amongst me would probably, would probably say that that was calculated because they wanted my brother on the stand. But it, it could just be that Elliot was, was you know, looking for, I mean, we can all agree if any of you, you know, you saw the documentary, Elliot's, 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 Elliot's friends at the time were grade A shitholes. Um, so, you know, maybe Elliot needed a real friend. But I, I know they haven't spoken. I know they haven't spoken recently. But I mean, Elliot, I, I, I cracked this, this. Um, I, 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 I cracked this joke um, in the class. But Elliot said that, you know, Elliot said to my brother, like, oh, you wait till you see how hot my girlfriend is. And there's. And, and, and he was talking about Emily. And there's this other incident. I'd have, to, I'd have to Google it. There's another incident where Elliot got, Elliot got the, sh Elliot got beaten up in prison. And I think it's because he had photos of Emily on his wall. And he was trying to show people how, like, his girlfriend and how attractive he was despite everybody knowing he he killed her i think i think i think that I, the, the, the him getting him getting beaten up definitely happened but i think it's because he still had photos of emily on his wall and was still trying to brag about it um so yeah so mark last spoke to him pre-trial via some letters and i don't think he visited my mum New, well, my Anita, Elliot's mother, called my mother and asked her to come over to the house in the days after the murder. And my mum did. For the love of all things, like, really, mother? Uh, my mum did go over. And then, because my mum works with the police, 
and she knows them very, very well. My mum works in child protection, and she, so she often works with the police on cases. They actually had to call her up and be like, like, you need to not go around there again. And the reason was that they bugged the house. So they detect, they suspected Elliot. They bugged the whole house secretly. And then these guys were listening to this, to the tapes and stuff. And then my mum just turns up, like, on the police tapes. And they're like, hang, hang on, isn't that Dr. Kelso? And they're like, right, we need, someone needs to tell her to stop turning up. Um, and Anita was like, oh, Elliot's innocent. I'm innocent. I'm going to write a book about... I've read the letters. Oh, it was a while ago. I've read the letters. I will ask my mum, for you, for you, my favourite class, I will ask my mum if she still has, and my brother, if they still have the letters. And if they do, I will send them to you. If, I, if, if they do. Um, so, yeah, so they haven't spoken to them in years. Um, I've, both of them have, have, have disappeared uh, into obscurity, which is precisely where they should be. Uh, was my brother okay? Um, my family were were weren't weren't immediately okay. Um, they they definitely weren't. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't okay. Uh, and uh, I think the reason was more sadness for Elliot's brother. So it doesn't actually come out in the case, but Elliot actually has a younger brother. And I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know if I, if, if if we even gave you the full case. But but basically, Elliot confessed the next day in a letter. The mother burnt the letter with bleach. They the mother then like you know they tried to cover it up. They try and help Elliot cover it up and all of this is recorded by the police and you know the parents talking about how Elliot murdered this girl but how they're going to try and get him off it and then Elliot literally being like I strangled her I strangled her I strangled her but you know it was all our fault so so it came out that you know the mum the dad and Elliot all were involved in this and Elliot got done uh, convicted for the murder and Anita and the and and, and Peter got uh, got convicted for the cover-up and the the sad part of all of this is that Elliot has a younger brother who was a, a really nice boy. And the reason he was a nice boy is the, the mother was so overly focused on spoiling shitbag Elliot that they forgot about the other kid. Um, so the, 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 the younger son was really, really nice. But the, I think it, part of the sadness was, was, was about that, you know, about the, this, this family that we knew very well, you know, that the, their, their little boy, their son, was now going to grow up without a mum, a dad, and a big brother. Well, we, we, someone said that's a thing but but it, it was more I think about no it was more for the son now having to grow up without his family and, and being you know associated with that and known for all of this and stuff like that so I think a lot of the sadness came from that and again it it you can look at someone who has changed I think I think you can look at someone who has changed and and be and, and acknowledge that they have changed and that they aren't the person that they were when you knew them. But that still doesn't necessarily take away the attachment that you have. I think that's probably how I phrase it. So it wasn't like Mark was like, oh my God, that's a surprise. Mark was like, yeah, Elliot was, a, was you know, last time he saw him, like, Elliot was, you know, arrogant and shitty and I'm not surprised he's nasty I mean I said it when, when they told me I said it guarantee it narcissistic rage girlfriend tried to dump him probably on drugs you know it wasn't predictable but it was it was not a shock 
But I, I think that you still, you know, you, you see him, you know, I've known Elliot since he was six or seven. You know, you, you, you see a kid grow up and it's almost like watching a train crash in slow motion. And, you know, so it is, it, there's, still a, there's still a connection that it's someone who's been in your life. But I mean, I don't think anyone was particularly surprised. It was almost we were more mourning the loss of, I guess, a more innocent Elliot that we knew when he was younger, which was lost years before the actual murder. Um, what are your opinions on Elliot Turner and his family? Any personal experience you have with him? I've never liked him. Um, just, 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 no, Elliot's an interesting one. And the documentary is interesting because I grew up in Bournemouth and I know, not only do I know <laughs> the firm, that's, that's Elliot's fake group of idiots. Um, I know a lot of people like Elliot. So, so, so for those of you who don't know where they where that all happened is in a place called Sandbanks. And Sandbanks is, Sandbanks at one point was the most expensive place in the world to live. So, so like, like square foot per pound of a house, Sandbanks was the most expensive place to, to live. So you had a lot of kids with a lot of money from the parents who would go out and show that they had all of this money and, and, and act that they were God's gift because they had all of this money. And like, I, it, it's a very stereotypical type and to be honest I, I think any I think I mean I thought all of them then were idiots and I still think the exact same thing now um so when Elliot got older I mean I knew exactly the kind of person he was and I knew exactly you know who him and his friends were and I mean it, it was weird I actually saw him shit I saw him about six months before the murder and he still he was nice to me because I was you know I was the big brother of a of, of, you know a friend of his when he was growing up so I guess there was a a tiny bit of, of, I guess, respect there, if you will. But I mean, he was still very much giving it, giving it the old big stacks about how great he was. Um, so you, you couldn't get past that. But I definitely, I definitely knew who Elliot was. And even when he was young, oh God, I remember him calling the house and still not liking him. I just, I just, I just don't, I didn't like him because I knew I knew how he viewed himself and I viewed his relationship with my brother as very much a kind of an ego reinforcement. And the only reason that I probably got that he was probably a bit dulled around me was like when you're when you're seven and another kid's 10, you know, like you you, you think that you, that that age is a thing when he's 10 and you're 13, you know, you, you still have a little bit of, of almost humbleness around kids that are older than you a little bit of that existed so he wasn't the worst to me um but i always felt that he was very much like very much kind of spoiled egocentrical and arrogant um and so i just i just i, I just didn't really like him I, I hated his mother i thought his mother was an awful woman god her voice is like nails on a chalkboard drives me insane um the dad was actually of, of the three was the most mellow and, and the one that we all kind of thought was the was the nicest but yeah the mum was classic like spoil spoil you know spoiled Elliot you know thought she was God's gift you know still still did in prison um so yeah very very much didn't like her uh did Elliot get sentenced to life yes does he regret it now no in fact let me see I'm gonna I need to get this up Elliot Turner jail fight let's see if we can get it up here we go here we go right Yes, ha <laughs> ha. Um, 
So this answers the answer to the first question. He was sentenced to 16 years. That may seem low. It's not. That's UK. UK sentencing is. Um... Could he be out? He can't be out. UK sentencing is that you get, um, oh, it'd be really awkward if you walk through the door. Heard you made a YouTube video about me. Oh, fuck off, Elliot. Um, so it's uh, the the UK court, Lord, sorry, I'm having to do a survey to read this story because the, the, the paper is so ridiculously crap. Skip survey, there we go. Ah, found it. So UK law has much lower sentencing than US law. So he probably got close to the maximum for murder. He definitely got convicted for murder. So he probably got close to the maximum. Um, and then the reason I wondered if he was out is, is, is technically UK law, you can kind of knock off 50% for good behaviour. So there is potential that, unless it's an absolute minimum of 16 years. Um, uh, so let's have a look. So yeah, so Elliot Turner was involved in an incident in jail. He's serving a life sentence, but in the UK that's 16 years for the murder of Emily Longley. Two prisoners were disciplined. Does it say why? Yes, here we go. A report in a national newspaper claimed Turner, who formerly lived with his parents, had been attacked after displaying pictures of Emily in his cell and boasting about his wealth. The newspaper said he also claimed to have a fan club and told how he received letters from many women. It was said he was beaten up when other inmates became sick of his boasts and that his cell was set on fire after he reported the attack to the prison officers. Snitches get stitches. Uh, the spokesman said there was no fire. So, um, so um, to answer your question, uh, yes, he got uh, yes, he got sentenced to life. Doesn't seem to be regretting it. To be honest, doesn't seem to be regretting that one too much. Uh, and also, it says here uh, in answer to actually the same question asked about the parents, Leigh and Anita Turner were jailed for twenty. 27 months for perverting the course of justice during the murder investigation and for trying to help their son evade justice. Now, I just wonder, there was a, there was a thought that the mother was going to get deported. Um, yeah, so the mum, and I don't actually know what happened with this, the mum then faced deportation because... Um, she's an Indonesian native, and obviously we have laws around covering up murders on, I guess, some form of visa. Um, so apparently the... Um, I don't know, I can't find the answer to this, um, but there, there was then a move to deport the mother. Um, and I'll, I'll, if I can find out, I'll find out. But uh, it, might, it might not be reported on, it might have been, you know, they might have been, you know, not a priority at that point, you know. Um, so, yeah, so then the mother potentially faced deportation. Um, OK, last question on Elliot Turner. What was the outcome of the case? I, I've already mentioned. Did the defence really bring up evolutionary theories and would that fly in court? Would that fly in court? Um, did the defence bring up evolutionary theories? No. The defence went with self-defence. So Elliot's argument... Elliot's argument was that she, they went home, she got, he was upset that she had been lying about him. She got upset because he went and had a cigarette. She then lost control and tried to beat the crap out of him. And he, 
he choked, held her neck to calm her. The, the story makes no sense. Let's be clear. He held her neck to calm her down and didn't think or realise he killed her. He then went to bed and then he then went to bed thinking she was still alive and then woke up to discover that she was dead. That is that is his defence. It is. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it's 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 completely unbelievable. Um, but it's completely unbelievable. Uh, but that was what they went with. So he went with a classic, you know, um, he went with a classic um, uh, self-defense. You know, she was attacking me, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, did, it didn't fly. I mean, I like like I'm reading, reading what I read about the case at the time. It, it didn't fly with the jury. And, and to be honest, Elliot didn't fly with the jury. I mean, he, you know, the, the judge in his final judging says, you know, words along the lines of, you know, get over the concept of Bentleys and champagne, mate. You're a murderer and you're going to jail. Like he presented as a a very arrogant, uh, a very arrogant uh, individual who showed no remorse. And then they say that about the court reporting. So the, the self-defense didn't go very far. They didn't bring evolutionary theories. And to be honest, I don't know of a case where evolutionary theories have actually been used in court, at least effectively. So, 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 so to, to be, to be on, to get into a court to testify as an expert witness, there is a certain type of mini trial you actually have to go through where you have to you are basically cross examined by the you know the judge um and he has to determine basically if your science is good enough to be allowed in the courtroom and you'll remember that from the David Cantor case you know he wasn't allowed in the courtroom evolutionary psychology I'm pretty sure wouldn't make it past wouldn't make it past that the decision making stuff does I've, I've got that I've got that through um because, you know, it, you measure decision making in the lab. People don't measure evolutionary psychology. They spot trends and propose evolutionary justifications or reasons for it crossed up with the neuroscience. Some elements of it might be. So if someone has damage to the amygdala, you know, they'll say we've evolutionarily adapted the amygdala to respond to threats. And so you, the evolutionary stuff can find its way in there. But normally it's in more of a neurological um, narrative of what is the evolutionary function of X part of the brain and why does that exist? And then how is that damaged or relevant to this case? But it's almost neuro first, evolutionary second, not a pure Daly and Wilson 1988 evolutionary explanation for, you know, humans, males trying to control fidelity in their females to have more evolutionary and reproductive fitness. So, so no, that didn't, that didn't come into the case. It was a, a classic self-defense, which didn't fly because he's a, phenomenally arrogant narcissist and everyone knows it so there we go so that that actually sums up the questions on Elliot Turner um do you know I haven't I haven't thought about this for a long time I haven't thought about the 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 the, the, the how the the effects of it on my family and I haven't thought about him in terms of like knowing him as a seven-year-old for a long time so so sincerely thank you um it's interesting I will I will I will try I'll see if they have a, any of the letters. My mum's a hoarder. We may get lucky, but uh, we'll see. If not, anyway, new debate this week. Uh, hopefully one that's, that's slightly less raw on me. So we'll be fine. Um, okay, so next question. What got you into the forensic psychology field? Um, I, am, I am very, very privileged to say that I, I knew at 13 what I wanted to be. Um, 
and I'm very lucky that I actually am able to be it. Um, yes, very lucky. Um, so when I was 13, I watched a show called Waking the Dead, um, which was this uh, this TV show where the they used to like reinvestigate cold crimes. Like 20 years later, there'd be one new bit of evidence that opens up this cold crime 20 years ago, and then they'd go and solve it. And there was this guy, you know, detective uh, detective chief inspector Peter Boyle, I think Peter Boyle, and he was this grisly old man and, and he had this psychologist called Grace Weller. I haven't watched the show in years. Grace Weller. And I'd originally wanted to be a police officer when I was young and I did my work experience with the police and all this kind of stuff. But I had asthma and so I, I couldn't be a police officer. That was, or at least that was what I was told. So I was like, oh, well, I can't be a police officer. Well, this Grace person does this thing, psychology, and you know, that's kind of related. And so I then, when I was 16, took psychology for the first time in high school. And I remember then... I wrote an essay when I was 16, I, I still have that essay, where I did, I looked at attachment theory, so Bowlby's attachment theory and Charles Manson. God, God I imagine it's crap. Uh, but I wrote that when I, was, when I was 16. And then when I went to co uh, college, I did psychology at college. And, and whenever I could, whenever I was asked to write an essay for an assignment, I would go up and say, can I write it about uh, crime instead? And can I do a crime essay with your theory? Because I was... You know, I really wanted to do that. And then I immediately knew I wanted to do forensic and investigative psychology as my master's, uh, which I did. And then what's really weird, and it's actually a, there's an old philosophical adage of, um, you know, it's called the backwards law. You know, the, the acceptance of a positive is a negative and the acceptance of a negative is a positive. And it comes from Mark Monson's, you know, book, The, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, and, and it almost talks about you become the thing you want to become when you stop trying. You know, I always joke, I'll become a good golfer when I stop trying. Um, I, I became a forensic psychologist when I stopped trying to be, almost stopped trying to be a forensic psychologist. In that I, I, I went and I did my PhD on the military decision making stuff and, and then the counterterrorism and terrorism stuff. And then slowly, it almost just naturally came back to me, this, this love of, of core crime. And then my decision-making work ended up becoming legal decision-making work. And I was getting calls about murder cases and looking at case files. And I was like, I, I'd almost given up the pipe dream of, of, of working a case or, you know, or working, or, or working anything like that. And, and it, it just kind of... I, I I found my way back there almost, um, and that has allowed me to I mean really embrace the identity and, and do all the work now. And, and weirdly, this is going to sound really weird. Teaching this course has made me almost become more of a forensic psychologist and almost chase the person I used to be because it made me reteach all my education and rethink about all of this stuff, and that created ideas for papers and research. So. Weirdly, this course, when like 2013, someone was like, "We need someone to teach forensic psychology." I was like, "Hell yeah! Give me the, give me the, give me the damn ball!" Um, and that almost brought me right back into it. So a little bit of chance, a lot of hard work, but but I always knew, uh, I always knew that the that forensic psychology was where I wanted to go. And I would stay now looking at everything I do. It's it's the psychology of people in the extremes that interests me, and and that can be criminals, and then it can also now be be soldiers or police officers or terrorists or anything like that. But it's 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 humans in the extreme, uh, and that that's really what what get what 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 I like to to study. So okay, so last question: Are we? Is this a long episode? Is this a long episode? 
I don't know. I'm not even looking at the clock. It's I'm not going to lie to you. It is 1.30 in the morning um, while I'm recording this now. So we're, we're long beyond time. Uh, my brain is long beyond, long beyond working. Uh, I know you asked me a bunch of deep personal questions. I'm lucky I didn't fucking cry. Um, so here we go. So why, this is actually a really good question. Why don't they name lone wolves terrorists? How do you classify a hate crime? So let's, let's, let's go with a public service announcement when it comes to talking about what happened last week. Two things I've been thinking. One, anybody who tells you they know the answer and or the cause is either lying or an idiot. And two, avoiding, avoiding asking or answering questions will never make us smarter about, about what happened. Now, in terms of last week, Last week's crime is so, so complicated. Like, like psychologically speaking, it is so complicated. And, it, and I'll just be flat out honest with you, it hits close to home for me. Um, I, mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, I'm British, in case nobody had noticed that yet. But uh, when, I, when I moved to America and I met my now wife, um, she's Chinese-born American, um, and we, we live in Braintree. Uh, and I kid you not, we are we are surrounded by a whole family, all of whom are Chinese from from the, the older generations who, you know, were born in China and came over here to, to my wife's generation, which is, you know, was the, the first generation to be born in China. So, you know, we, we have conversations in the in the home about this and, and a lot of, you know, her family members have been, you know, been been tracking this and are very upset about this. And, you know, so this is something that's that's really really uh we've really talked about it and tried to try to answer it because the it, it's got a lot of competing areas to it one you have the the race of the individual which is which is important you have the race of the victims which is important you have the fact that it was conducted across three separate sites but all of the same sites targeted the same race of the victims which you can't dismiss but you also have a very proximate motivation of this individual's kind of the, the claimed kind of sex addiction idea that he has. And he has this kind of tormented um, clash within himself of kind of sexual desires and sexual pleasures. Um, and, you know, and this, and this, this biblical sense of himself and those two things clashing, creating this you know, unattainable or unlivable situation within himself. And then I, from what I read, I believe, you know, he, he considered, you know, he was just going to commit suicide because of it, but then created almost this kind of vanguardism of he would actually, you know, remove temptation from himself, but 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 remove temptations from others. And and so that narrative as a, as a psychological motivation for, for the murder is also quite strange um and, and very complicated to get your head around some people are saying you know well it's not racist because it's it's, it's not a hate crime it's, it's a sex addiction crime no no it's not racist because it's a sex addiction. It's, no no it's not white it's not core white supremacism to the degree that he isn't a white supremacist i mean this is something my wife and i talked about like he's not a white supremacist doing this for a belief in the white powerful race, which would be a white supremacist extremist. That's what, you know, Dylan Roof is, a, is an example of that. It's not that. But, but 
but you can't also not look at the the racial disparity between the perpetrator and the victims so with that crime it it the problem with it is that you know this old saying you know two things can be true at once it cannot be white supremacism but the race of the perpetrator can be important it cannot be a racially motivated hate motivated hate crime but the race of the victims is important and also a factor. And that's the thing. We have to hold all of those in our mind and try and understand this individual's mentality and mindset and then take what is a very, very rare and very extreme narrative from a mass shooting perspective. There's not a lot. I, I would need to statistically fact check myself. There's not a lot of mass shooters that are driven by sex addiction. In fact, the, the closest thing we've seen recently would be the incel move, which is the, the Elliot Rogers, and there was a case in Canada of, of what they're called involuntary, involuntary celibates, who basically believe that they are owed women, and women don't love them because women love inferior men, who they call, they call them chads and they call women Stacys. And there's a whole subculture on Reddit and it's very damaging and very poisonous. Um, and there are cases where incel men, Elliot Rogers is, is a very, very famous case if, you, if you're going to Google one. Elliot Rogers drove around um, sorority parties in, in California, basically shooting sorority girls. And it was because women didn't love him. And I, I play it in class sometimes. I'm not sure if I'll get to it in this one, but I play it in class sometimes. Um, uh, you know, he, he has these videos of, of I'm so fantastic. Why don't women love me? They should love me. I'm amazing. But they love these inferior men. And it's this it's this incel narrative that we 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 kind of call it. And, and psychologists have, have begun to start looking at it. And this case isn't even incel because it's it's not involuntary celibacy, as in women don't love him. It's it's this he has this tortured view of sex and these impulses and these urges and therefore he feels the need to to remove the temptation from it so i mean i'm i'm just going to be in, in the spirit of the two things i said to you earlier uh, currently it's too complicated i don't know all i know is that there are many intersecting elements of this case that are a very, are, are honestly, I believe, quite a unique tapestry. And, and the only thing I can hope happens is it seems, if the interviewers use our rapport methods and, and orbit, as I've already taught you, it, it, he seems talkative. And so my, my hope would be that, you know, the, in the interrogation, he, he explains more and, and there's a chance to unpack what is going on here. But, but it's not simple. It's real. And I'm, I'm saying that as someone who studies this. It's not simple. It's not simple. And it's not a, a uniform, singular answer. It is it is more complicated than that. But I, I will actually answer the question. Um, why don't they name lone wolf terrorists? How do you classify a hate crime? Very brief. Lone wolves are, can be terrorists. In fact, lone wolf is specifically usually a terroristic term. Um, and it, it, is, it, is, it is defined as someone who conducts an act of terrorism on their own, isolated from the wider terrorist group. Now, what I think I interpret from your answer is, why aren't all individuals who kill and harm on their own, why aren't they all called terrorists? So why isn't 
uh, why isn't you know the agent the the shooter from last week why isn't he called a terrorist um or you know why isn't um you know the vegas shooter called a terrorist they're both technically lone wolves but they're not they're not lone wolves because lone wolves has this view of you know there's the pack and then there's the lone wolf and so from a terroristic standpoint there's the terrorist group and then there's the lone wolf if someone doesn't ascribe to an ideology and, and there isn't a terrorist group there they've got not they've got no pack to be a lone wolf from and so in that case they're just a, a mass shooter or you know a, a lone a lone violent actor so that's kind of you'll see lone wolf more if it's a, more mainly if it's a terrorist and then the answer of are they a terrorist? Well, I'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see I kind of try and answer that in this week's lecture that, you know, it needs a political ideology and some kind of political attachment. And then how do you classify a hate crime? Um, from a psychological standpoint, they, they have to be hurting and or. My phone just ran out of battery while I was recording, so I apologise for that. Um, uh, so based on what I, the last answer I was giving, um, basically that the, the you you would psychologically and, and and I think legally define a hate crime based on that the person has to be being targeted for the group that they represent. So it's almost a depersonalized crime in that case. I'm not targeting you because of you. I'm targeting you because of a group that you are representing or are, you know, overtly a member of. So, you know, that's why it's race, sexual orientation, you know, nationality you can do, um, all of these different things. So it's, a, again, the person is not the, 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 the person is the target, but, but you're also targeting them because of the group that they're a member of. And it's driven by a, a negative, you know, dislike of that group. Now, the difference between a hate crime and terrorism is that for it to be a hate crime, I would have to target you or hurt you because of the group that you represent, right? So let, let's let's say, just, just based on last week, that we're going to go with a, a, an anti-Asian hate crime. It would be, like we saw uh, reported this morning, you know, somebody sees someone on the subway that is Asian and they just decide to hurt them because they're Asian. That would be a hate crime. To make that terrorism... They would need to not only hurt them, but believe that by hurting them, they will that will lead to changes in government, social, whatever policy related to the treatment of that group. So that's the leap between hate crime and terrorism. OK, so thank you. If, I, if I've run out of phone battery or phone space, I must be talking a lot. So I apologise for the immense amount of your time I have taken up. But thank you so much for listening. Go truly, thank you so much for the questions on the Elliot Turner case. I mean, I really hope you enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's personal to me, um, but, but I think that means that we can bring it alive a little bit more. So thank you for, for engaging. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for asking about me. That's always nice. And, and thank you for the great question about, you know, about last week. I wish I had concrete answers, but to be honest, it is very, very complicated from a psychological, legal, all of the standpoints. And I kind of wish that people would actually say that a lot more, that it is complex. This is, this is a relatively rare constellation of, 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 of issues coming together in a single case. And that isn't easy to deal with, but you know, society doesn't like that answer. Um, but anyway, have an amazing week. We have a great lecture coming up 
uh, on the psychology of terrorism that'll be up now. We have an amazing debate coming up on Thursday on a really exciting terrorism case. I want to keep you inspired. I want to keep you engaged. I want to keep you entertained. So thank you so much. Have a great night. I'll see you soon.